And then what I hear some people start to say is, oh, but isn't that good then if it gets you to do this stuff? And it's like, fucking hell. That's, that's what people start to think. The idea that you would still write books if you felt like you were enough, as in you are a perfect human being that you don't need to achieve any. I said this once to a friend about two years ago who was struggling for this kind of sense of purpose or whatever it was. And I said to him, I don't want to uh, give away who he is, but I, I pointed to things he'd already done for other people and good things that had already happened from his life having been lived. I said, if you never did another thing for another person your whole life, you would have already done so much. And when I finished 18 and Lost, I thought about my friend, our, our friend Joshua Hodge in his chapter, chapter six, how proud of him I was, how much he'd grown. And I thought to myself at that moment, if I never help another person through any of the work I'm about to do in education, I'm super glad that I would have helped Josh. Yet yeah, here I am, I'm trying to, uh, hopefully trying to add value to more people. Mm. You and I try to do that for each other as good, as good very long-term friends. Mm. It's not a reason to stop. Yet the inadequacy, because I've seen it in charity, because I worked in that industry, and how many of those people are drawn to the charitable industry because they feel like they're not enough. And so what they inevitably do is they actually are not that good at helping people. They can't see the real solution. They can only find because of their, they're not looking at the people in front of them. They're looking at the hole in themselves and projecting it onto other people. So they can only work towards solutions that are emotionally satisfying for them, not what actually needs to happen. It's why Nick Abraham eventually started a business instead of doing the donation model. It was actually more effective. And in romantic relationships, the feeling that you're not enough is where the clinginess comes from. This was me when I was in my early 20s. The absolute anxiety over being abandoned was terrifying. Because when you feel like you're not enough, you so often try to get a romantic partner to fill that void in you. It's, it's you're looking for some sort of validation in your environment that you're enough. Ah, so if I'm attractive to people, that means I am enough. But the problem is that it doesn't last because it needs to be maintained. It's insecure. What do insecure people do? They're like paranoid people. They're always second-guessing. That's what paranoia is. And that's how your ego manifests itself in your life. So the irony is you have to love yourself in the cheesiest way. And then the, the counter argument, especially from a lot of people in the high achieving industries, the sciences and the, I don't know, the academics and maybe the big actors and I don't, the startups and all that, they say, but people would never go and, you know, that's where do you get the motivation that if you're not enough? And that's a fascinating thing to unpack. It's funny. You that's a fascinating thing because 
what would you still do from a place of being enough? I argue, and this is the cornerstone of my philosophy on work and contribution, sits on this very premise. You would only do things that were absolutely essential and necessary to see in the world. But you would look at them so clearly because so little of your pursuit would be based on you satisfying some illusory ego-based image that you're trying to build up of yourself. Because the reason why I don't think that is very smart, because even if you fucking get it, it will not bring you peace. As Tim Ferriss pointed out. It's like the whole idea of once I get to this position in this company or, you know, then I'll be different. Then I'll be able to, you know, it's so easy to fall into that. And then when you get there, it's like the feeling doesn't change. The problems change, but you just go back to the the level, the same level. Homeostasis, right? You just go back. No matter what. You're right. My, my friend Robbie has this question. He goes, remember when you wanted everything you had now? <laughs> Did I say that right? Remember when you had everything you have now? Mm. Remember when you, all you wanted was the things you have right now? You know, when I was in my early 20s, and we were friends back then, mm. or my late teens, I just wanted to have good people around me and I like actually connect with them. And I had all the friends that I do it with now. I just didn't have the ability as an individual or the right environments like the ones we've created now with this podcast, Constant Student, some of the retreats will start running and end up all in that experience. Mm. Fascinating, right? And the other thing I realized last year was I have gotten everything I ever wanted as soon as I stopped wanting it. Or perhaps as soon as I stopped needing it. As soon you as you stopped, th- I'm yeah. just thinking as soon as you stopped being fearful that you might not get it or wow. attaching too much, that's the, that's attachments. The like attachments. for example, if you're just chasing money and if you're terrified that you might not actually get enough money, then you're going to be doing things for the wrong reasons in the day to day. Interesting. It's fascinating. So I would have split this into a couple of episodes. So for anyone listening, Luke and I, you know, we try to keep this short and this, this started maybe one or two episodes ago by this point, but I will consolidate it for anyone who's a bit confused that it was all about Tim Ferriss, who's a prominent angel investor, author, one of the biggest, most noteworthy podcasts in the world around how he really shifted focus, and this doesn't get talked about very much, how he really shifted focus to prioritize peace of mind and inner peace because all the other things that everyone does actually respect him for more so didn't actually make him happy and how there is not much conversation in our culture now 
about how there are so many high achieving people who we put on the pedestal, but I do not argue they're very good to learn from, but you don't need to copy them much because the real thing you would really want is this state of inner peace. And ironically, the great fruit is the low hanging fruit. It's much easier to have than a lot of what the celebrities have. And I think it's just scarcity, you know, Luke, like people want what's scarce. But we have this misconception that a celebrity will have this alternate state that we don't have. Exactly. <laughs> like I think of it all, it's like, comes back to what you were saying before, Joe, I'll be, I'll be, when I'm independent and I have my own apartment, then <laughs> that's when things will change for me. <laughs> here you are you're in your own apartment <laughs> and, and life's, life's pretty thing. similar it's mm -hmm. same people in your life you know same things that i ultimately enjoy i just have to keep reminding myself that it's very difficult <laughs> but reflecting well, on it is powerful reflecting on it is everything as socrates i think it was said the unexamined life is not worth living The unexamined life is not worth living. Well, that has been a couple of good episodes, hopefully, of the With Joe Eby podcast for you. We do keep these up daily. Just jump on the newsletter in the description at Everything Joe to get the, the top insights for the podcast once a week. And we'll be back again tomorrow for our last episode on Tim Ferriss. And the theme, I believe, is how Tim Ferriss changed my life. Thanks, Joe.